None of the Gospels provide an account of the resurrection of Jesus. There isn't such a thing in the New Testament. They do have stories of an empty tomb and of the appearances of Jesus to people, to his disciples specifically. The Gospel of John presents some of the most memorable of these appearance stories, featuring a wide cast of characters with very different faith reactions to the resurrection appearances. And this is really important and I think intentional. For as Fred Craddock says, it's a reminder that faith is not the same for everyone. And we're going to see that. I see it in our confirmation class. We were meeting earlier this morning and uh, I reminded them we have just three weeks left. Three weeks from today is Confirmation Sunday. And uh, our kids will be asked to make a public statement of their faith. Uh, They're going to be churning away for the next three weeks trying to figure out what to say, what to write. Might ask help from their parents. And parents, if you're smart, you'll run the other way and make them do it themselves. Um, But uh, we know this is not a once and for all deal. Uh, you, you may never be asked to write and speak publicly your faith again, but we know, we older ones, that life is full of searching thoughtfully, or it should be, and hope, hopefully we are a community of faith that does that in a lifelong way. And so that's a part of what I want to talk about today. I'd like to invite us to pray together first. Lord God, by your Spirit, guide us, enlighten us, and give us life as Jesus meant to give it, that we may go from here strengthened in hope for service in Christ's name. Amen. So the Word of God comes to us today from the 20th chapter of John. It's Easter in the evening. Let us listen for God's word. Later on that day, the disciples gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, they locked all the doors in the house. But Jesus entered anyway, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I send you. This is John's great commission. Then he took a deep breath and breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive someone's sins, they are gone for good. And if you don't forgive their sins, what are you going to do with them? This is John's Pentecost story. And then this little vignette ends with Thomas, sometimes called the twin, was, who was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. But the other disciples told him, we've seen the master. He said, until I see the nail holes in his hands and put my finger in his side and, and stick my hand on his wounds, I won't believe it. 
Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time Thomas was with them, and Jesus came again through locked doors, stood among them and said, Peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Trust me. Thomas said, My master, my God. Jesus said, So you believe because you've seen with your own eyes? Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so that you will trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in this act of trust, have real and eternal life in the way that he personally revealed it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's hard to believe just a week ago we were scrambling around with Easter egg hunts and and we were hopefully eating chocolate for breakfast and marshmallow candy, right? And, uh, you know, we, we unveiled this beautiful butterfly cross and these banners. We had all this special music. Some of you had uh, really fancy clothes on. It was, it was a it was a big day. We were, we were, I was telling the kids they needed to party all day and really all week, I think. And uh, that should probably continue. But really, for most of us, it's been back to business as usual, hadn't it? Back to work, back to school, back to your regular weekly routines. I'm not judging us. That's just kind of the way it is. It's hard to sustain that Easter enthusiasm once Easter's over, after all of the experiences of Easter Sunday start to recede in the rearview mirror. You know rearview mirrors, don't you? you? You use those? Okay, good. Well, no one knows this better than John. John is writing near the end of the first century to people who, for the most part, weren't even born when the events of Easter happened. I mean, there were a few that were there, they were kind of like what we have World War II veterans around. There's just a few of them around now, and we treat them very specially because we want to hear their stories one more time before they're gone. And every year, more and more are gone. And that's kind of the way it was with the, those who actually were around when Jesus was alive and when those events of the Gospels occurred. So John is writing to second and third generation people who were hearing these stories and they were trying to make sense of their faith, to assemble and hold on to their faith without creeds, without clergy or cardinals, without a New Testament. I mean, think about that. Think about if you have none of those things, maybe that's a help. I don't know. Uh, but for them, they, it was all new territory, building on their, uh, for the most part, their Jewish heritage, but trying to figure out what it meant, all these stories that they've heard, but they, they didn't see it, 
They didn't touch it. They didn't hear it. It's just stories to them. Were you there when they crucified the Lord? No, they were not, and neither were we. We missed it. We weren't there. And we're generations removed from that Easter. And all we have are the stories. The stories and our story. Our experience. You see, for the word of God, for this story, in particular in John, to function as John intended it, we have to ingest it, digest it, take it into our bodily existence. Otherwise, it's just a story from long ago, and the church becomes a museum. So the story is, is well known. Thomas was not there that Easter night. He heard all about it from the other guys. But he wanted his own personal confirming experience. And who could blame him? Really, the disciples all wanted it too. They had heard the testimony of the women. They didn't buy it. So Jesus came to them. Thomas wanted that. And Jesus doesn't judge it. He doesn't judge his resistance or his, his lack of insight. In John, he just repeats the whole scene again a week later. And he says something very important. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet trust me. You see, there is no advantage, Jesus is saying, to having been there. If you missed it, it's okay. Because you still got work to do either way. And so ever since then, anyone who intends to try to live as a Christian is going to have to fly by instruments. We're given the stories and each other. That's what we have. The Word of God written, canonized, and I fear too often ossified, and the living Word, the Christ in us, abiding in us, and we abiding in Him, the living Word, their stories and our experience. Brian McLaren is an author who wrote a book, and there's a chapter in the book that's called The Seven Jesuses I Have Known. And I use this chapter with our youth ministry team, with Bryce and Tatum and Izzy, and we talked about our own faith journeys. And I want to have the privilege of sharing just a little bit of mine with you. And this is going to be really more testimony from now on than sermon, okay? So by that I mean you have your testimony that is just as valid and important here. And I, and I hope you know that. So I don't have maybe seven ways of seeing Jesus, but my first way that I understood Jesus was through the church. I was raised in a, in a conservative Lutheran church, and my image of Jesus was he was a very nice person, a good person, pretty unlucky, uh, 
and uh, he lived a long time ago, and we should be very, very thankful to him. I didn't, that was about it. That's what I understood. Seemed pretty distant and vague. By the time I was a teenager, I somehow got involved in a group called Young Life for purely social reasons. And there I gradually uh, had some profound experiences. I learned my image of Jesus changed and I came to see him as my friend, a real friend. And what was important to me about that was I felt that I had some worth. At that time in my life, I needed that. And I felt that the Christian good news for me was Jesus thinks you're worth something, worth enough to be your friend. And that was all couched in this uh, theology of substitutionary atonement, Jesus dying for my sins, I needed to be forgiven, I needed someone to take my place or I was going to die, and Jesus did that in love. And that was the good news, a personal Savior instead of that distant one. That was so important to me. Right along that time, I kind of got a little bit involved in the Pentecostal movement that was going on at the time. And I went to some meetings, and I, and I was involved in that for a short time. The, all the, 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 the healing and the praying and the speaking in tongues. And, and, um, and then, shortly right after that, still in high school, I began to see Jesus in a new way as a revolutionary, a revolutionary, counter-cultural. He stood up against the racism and the sexism and the, and the materialism of his day and challenges us to follow, to stand up against the misogynistic, uh, segregated, materialistic culture I live in. That's how I began to understand Jesus, even as a teenager. That Jesus was going a countercultural way. And you couldn't go with the flow if you were really going to be faithful. And then, beyond, kept going along, and I kept learning more about how the Bible was formed, how it wasn't really dictated how it evolved, how it was shaped by history, by the church. And then years of ministry in young life and in the church, I think I experienced a ton of growth, but also some deconstruction of my faith. Questioning. I can think of so many kids in young life whose stories complicated my simple faith. Just believe in Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. You know, someone said that if you live long enough and thoughtfully are on a spiritual journey, sooner or later, you are certain to cross a spiritual wasteland. A place of boredom or dryness or doubt or anger or pain. And I saw that in others and, and in myself. And I came to a point where I really questioned the, the moralistic, therapeutic 
vision of God and of the gospel that I had carried with me for so long. Eventually, I arrived here about 10 years ago, and I want to uh, mention a quote from T.S. Eliot. He said, I arrived where I had started and knew the place for the first time. Have you ever had that experience? Just long journey and coming back again. And so here I am, still on kind of a moving journey, having not arrived, not claiming to know a whole lot, as I said a few weeks ago, if you remember that. But here are four communities that have become very important to me in nurturing my faith today. I want to tell you about them. The first community is the Quaker community. I've come to, I don't understand a whole lot, but I, what I appreciate about the Quaker community is just the, the one core thing that they begin with is that there is that of God in every person. No one is excluded. There is that of God in every person. You know, we have that banner in front of our building that welcomes our neighbors, even if they don't, what, look like us, talk like us, think like us, vote like us, etc., etc. And I think that banner is trying to get at this Quaker uh, precept that is at the core. There is that of God in every person. It may be deeply distorted or disguised, damaged by evil, by unlove, but it is there. And so that leads me to have great respect and really appreciation for, for other folks. I think there's always hope. For everyone. The second community that has become important to me is the Celtic community. What a privilege it was to take our youth to Iona a few years ago. A few of you have probably been there. You don't have to go there to, to understand or appreciate or practice some of the gifts of the Celtic faith. It grew out there on the wilderness in the, in the hinterlands while Rome was controlling everything down here in, in Europe, but they couldn't really control everything that people were thinking and doing way out there in the islands. And so they came up with some of their own ideas. And one of the, one of the ideas was that instead of thinking about creation as being originally bad and evil, think about it as good and blessed. So whereas Calvin talked about total depravity, and whereas Luther, 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 Luther talked about, he said, human nature is a pile of manure. Way to go, Luther. Really uplifting. And in the Celtic view, it's just the other way. Human nature is blessed by God and loved by God. Again, 
Maybe it has been scarred or distorted, but it in its original givenness is a blessed gift to all. And not only that, but this whole created world is the first incarnation of God. So the seeds of redemption are already sown in creation. It's already here in all that exists. And so there is this active, living, spiritual dynamic in the world. You may call it light or Christ or love, but it is real. It is both with us and in us and beyond us. And for me, it has brought me a real sense of immediate immediacy and presence and joy. The third community that has become important to me is the Franciscan community. Now, when I was a little Lutheran boy, I didn't trust the Catholics. I thought I was told they were dangerous. But now I... I, of course, have come to a very different way of feeling about that. The Franciscan community has given me this this, uh, little idea that God is hidden in the small and the ordinary. And if you are looking for God, look for God hidden in the ordinary. Right here. No sacred here and secular here. It's all sacred. And so how you love any one particular part of that sacred creation is how you will love God. How can I say I love God if I can't love my wife? There is one particular person I made a vow to, right? And that is the person I'm called to love. And if I cannot learn in my own brokenness and limitation to love her, then what good is it to say I love everybody? You see, that is the laboratory. That is the school of learning. And so... It's in the downward experience of relationships and life, not in the upward climb of moral virtue or enlightenment, but in the downward movement of service and humility that we will find the one who is risen. Now, I... I want to tell you about the fourth community just briefly. It's you. You are a community that shapes my faith and brings light to me. The youth of this church over years have been just amazing. And some of you used to be among those youth. You've now grown up. But the kids I was with, for example, in confirmation today, those of our church who are at the end of life, who are living their last years, those who serve quietly week by week by week, who show their wisdom and their faithfulness, 
We've been through profound tragedies and great upheavals just in the short time that I've been here. And so I see faith and the presence of Christ in you. And I'm learning what it means to be a follower of Christ from you. I'm not here to be the expert. I'm not here to persuade you to agree with me about any of this. I'm not here to criticize if someone thinks differently. That's just not where I am anymore. I'm not interested in a religion of exclusion, of me being right and you being wrong. I believe that Jesus came to sum up all things in creation in unity through the power of his love so that many will come from east and west and north and south all bearers of that divine image all bearers of that inner light I just want the church never to be a museum where we put the stories away and don't work with them in our own story. And so I hope you will be about writing your own faith statements. You don't have to. Nobody's going to make you. But maybe in the way you live your life, live your faith statement. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet still trust. And in the living out of our faith, may we have that real and eternal life in the way that he, Jesus, personally revealed it to us. Amen.